Jeremiah chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 only. The reason why I read this is because uh, it is referred to in the chapter that we will read from in Matthew's chapter 27 about the uh, silver pieces that Judas gave back to the people and they went and they bought the potter's field with it. Uh, I'm just going to refer to that not in, in, in deep exegesis this morning, but just to this one particular, one particular phrase within this chapter that we will read this morning that will come back in what we are going to read in Matthew chapter 27. We're reading Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 1. This is what the Lord says, Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom near the entrance of the potsherd gate. There proclaim the words I tell you and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Listen, I'm going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as, an offer, as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Tophath or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Just went to go back to verse 4. For they have forsaken me and made this place, this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to God that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. Let us now turn to Matthew chapter 27. And the portion we are going to read is verses 11 through to 26. Matthew chapter 27 verses 11 through to 26. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, 
Do you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? <coughs> but Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release the prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Governor Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. And they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of the blood of this man, he said. It is your responsibility. And the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. May the Lord add his blessing and understanding to this word and to his name be glory and praise. From this reading and also from the reading of Jeremiah chapter 19, it's Matthew chapter 27, verse 11 to 26, I want to bring to you the word of God under this heading, the cross of Jesus Christ, where the innocent and the unrighteous meet. My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, I want to read a few lines from a book written by Eugenia Price. The title of this book is God Speaks to Women Today. She writes about Claudia Procula, which was Pilate's wife. And then she calls that chapter a woman who lacked influence. Now let's just remember... Her name was Claudia. Forget about her second name for the moment because that's a bit Roman and we'll forget that. Claudia, she said, was a woman without influence. And she writes this. 
In Jerusalem, Claudia and Pilate stayed at the lavishly furnished Herodian palace. And lying on her, uh, on her side, uh, on a wide silk-covered bed, on the night before the feast day, Claudia had a dream. She slept little that night, her thoughts disturbed and tormented by his, that is Jesus of Nazareth, his trouble. She had never spoken to him. She quickly penned a note to Pilate and dispatched it to, uh, at once to be delivered to him personally as he sat on the seat of judgment before the howling mob. Claudia threw open a window that faced the Tower of Atonia. She could see the torchlights, ugly and red against the night sky. The sh shouts of the angry mob came and went, and during the lulls she supposed <clears throat> Pilate was speaking to them. Her thoughts urged the messenger on his way, through the crowded streets. Hurry. Oh, please hurry before it is too late. For an instant, Pilate longed to pay attention to his wife. Caught as he was between the howling mob backed by the priests of the temple and his own ambition toward Roman to keep order at any cost, he would have grabbed at an easy way out. Instead, he crumpled the note. Jumping suddenly to his feet as annoyed with his own helplessness as with the mob and Claudia, he shouted for want of anything new and say, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? <clears throat> then she adds to this chapter a note. There are those who believe Claudia may have been a secret believer in Jesus. Perhaps she was. Certainly she had been convinced in her heart that he was a good man, not worthy of execution, harming no one, only blessing all those who came in contact with him. Claudia did a courageous and daring thing, sending a plea for his life to Pilate in that tense moment. But a good act was weakened, because if she was a believer, she had kept it such a secret, her plea lacked influence with her husband. Here ends the quote from this book. There are traditions that say that this act of Claudia led to her sainthood in two Orthodox churches. On the 27th of October in the Greek Orthodox Church, St. Procula, which is Claudia, is celebrated. The Coptic, that's the Egyptian church, reveres both Pontius Pilate and Claudia as saints celebrating their feast day on the 25th of June. 
Now the question is, if this is true that she's been made a saint within these two churches, why did they do that? The answer to that is because she tried to prevent the crucifixion of Jesus by calling him an innocent man. And up to now, most of us would agree, well, she was a good person who actually tried to do good by preventing Jesus from being crucified because he is an innocent man. But the problem is, of course, that earlier into this chapter, Judas also called Jesus innocent. Judas went to the, to the Pharisees and, and, the, and, uh, and uh, 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 the leaders and he, he, he hurled back the, 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 the silver pieces that they had given him and he said, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. He called Jesus innocent too. But what did he do after that? He hanged himself. You see, we've got a problem here now. Is the mere fact that you call Jesus innocent enough to be saved? No. Claudia, I don't know Claudia, and I don't know that anyone knows Claudia that well to say that she was a good person. Uh, I've got a problem with the Coptic church taking Pilate in and making him a saint too. And it's from this point that some theologians then argue that the dream of Claudia, the wife of Pilate, was not of God, but of the devil who wanted to see Christ go free and not be crucified to die for the sins of his people. Whatever the case may be, we, we, we are, you think about it, we are in a bit of a, of a bind here because we find Jesus who is indeed innocent. And he is crucified. If we take this a bit further and we ask and we try to unravel this, this question, we could ask who was indeed responsible for the death of Jesus? Was it Judas who betrayed Jesus? Was it Claudia who failed? Was it Claudia who listened to the devil? Was it Pilate who did not even listen to Claudia? Or who did not even follow good Roman law practices by letting the innocent go? Who killed Jesus? The innocent. The life of Jesus was a life of serving. The, the Bible declares in many places the purpose of his mission. Like for instance, Matthew chapter 20 verse 28. The Son of Man uh, came not to be, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. 
For I have come down from heaven, Jesus said in John chapter 6, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. That was His purpose, to do the will of His Father. For the sake of God, for, for this then the Lord said, For our sake then God made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the mission of the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, everything in the Bible following the fall of man into sin in the early pages of the Bible is about him, God, who would crush through Jesus the head of the serpent and restore the people of God to himself as his bride. So when Jesus was born, Satan did everything in his power to frustrate the mission of Jesus. Herod, who was of the seed of Esau, made war against the son, and all baby boys were killed, the age of two and younger, in the hope that he would kill Jesus. His plan, his plan did not work. And when Jesus began his public ministry as Messiah, the first thing Satan did was to endeavor the, to thwart the plan of God by the temptations in the desert. Everything possible was done just to see that Jesus would not go to the cross. It didn't work. And then when our Savior was nailed to the cross, another attempt was made. There he was on the cross, but just don't die for the people. Let him come down from the cross and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. For he said, I'm the son of God. He didn't do that because he had to give his life. The devil could not do anything to frustrate the plan of God. And here we find again... Let this innocent man go. Well, he was innocent. But he stood there and he took one charge after the other and he said nothing. Because by hearing these charges and he said nothing, he took everything upon himself, the innocent, to become sin. For the sinful. Pilate was correct when he said, I don't find anything in this man. When Pilate then washed his hands and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood, he says, Well, I can't find anything wrong. Yes, Pilate was right too. So here we see Jesus. The innocent standing before the mob who wanted him dead and others who would like to prevent his death. Why is Jesus there? We do not need to elaborate on the life of Judas. He was unrighteous the son of perdition, as the Bible called him, 
who turned his back on Jesus, sold him to the chief priest, and then betrayed him in the garden of Gethsemane with a kiss. Of him the Bible writes, Matthew chapter 26, 24, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. There's a reason why the Bible does not give us more information about Claudia, not even her name. So we don't need to go into her life to work out was she really bad or was she good. That is not the point of the story. And you might go into the life of Pilate and you might say, well, he's a, he, was a bad, he was a bad bloke. Well, he was. You know, there was a time when, the, the, when there was some sort of an uproar when he brought in uh, the flags and the ensigns of the, of the Caesar into Jerusalem and the Jews couldn't stand it and they uh, uh, protested against it and they brought their sacrifices to God and then uh, Pilate couldn't stand this uproar against him and he killed them. We, we read about that in... In Luke chapter 13, 1, he killed them. And then uh, there was another episode where he appropriated temple funds in order to construct the 35-mile aqueduct for Jerusalem. And there was a major protest from the Jews. And order, uh, uh, Pilate then ordered his soldiers to dress up like the people. He gave them a, a clubs in their hands, and at his command, they clubbed the, the Jews to death. There was another episode which happened in <clears throat> 36 AD and a Samaritan, a false prophet, promised to show his followers sacred vessels hidden by Moses on a certain mountain. Pilate sent a heavily armed contingent of footmen and cavalry and they in intercepted the pilgrims and slaughtered most of them. Pilate was like Judas. An unrighteous man by what he did. We can see that. But is this the main thing about what is recorded in Matthew chapter 27? Pilate and Claudia and Judas and the soldiers. And those in the crowd who shouted, crucify him, they were all part of what the Bible refers to when it talks about the suffering servant Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone on his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. This is where we find ourselves this morning. The cross of Jesus, where the innocent and the unrighteous meet.
And we ask ourselves, why is it that it's Christ is innocent of it all? Why didn't he walk away? <clears throat> when we begin to understand the story of salvation in the Bible, we begin to understand that there is a wide chasm between the righteous God and the sinner, in whom there is no righteousness. We begin to understand that the story of the Bible after the fall of man into sin was all about God's plan of salvation to call man back to himself by providing a substitute for his sin. In the Old Testament, it was the blameless lamb and his, and his blood and his body which was sacrificed for the sin of the people. But all of this through the ages was not enough. It called for the complete sacrifice a man who would stand in the place of a man and who would do away with the charge of sin once and for all. He called for someone who would know the holiness of God and someone who would know the misery of man. It would call for someone who was like God, sinless, but who was like man of the dust, yet without sin, so that he would then reconcile the holy God with the sinful man once and for all. And that man we find before Pilate taking the charges, the innocent man. He is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who stood there taking one accusation of the other as an innocent man in our place. There and later fulfilled on the cross, God made him who knew no sin and made him sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. That is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. So there in the presence of Pilate, in the presence of Herod, through the cowardly actions of Judas, the request of Claudia, no man or woman on the face of the earth, and not even Satan in hell, could stop the plan of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Who then killed Jesus? Is the answer going to shock you? God loved the world so much that He gave His Son. God made him who knew no sin 
to be made sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. What is happening there in the court of, 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 of Pilate? What's happening there? What is happening there is that God is unfolding his plan of salvation for lost sinners like you and me. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, For a while we were still weak. At the right time Jesus died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would die, even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in the fact, listen, God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. My dear fellow believers, No one on the face of this earth could do what Jesus did when he died on the cross. There was no power of hell which could obstruct the plan of God. According to all human standards of fairness, Jesus died innocently. Yes, and according to human reason, he should have been released by Pilate. We could agree with Claudia. And yes, Judah deserves eternal condemnation for his betrayal of Jesus. And yes, Barabbas would one day face judgment before the throne of God for what he did. And we could ask, will Claudia escape judgment because she called Jesus innocent? Is that, is that the issue? No. Just in the same way as we all will not escape judgment by mere looking at Jesus as the innocent. The only way we will escape judgment is not to say, well, Jesus was innocent. The only way we will escape judgment is to say, he, the innocent, died for me the unrighteous and I've fallen before him and I've confessed my sins to him and I worship him as the king of my life that's the difference and I thought about it how many times over the last few days what then is Easter about And don't understand me wrongly here because I I really struggled with this in my mind. Is Easter all about the perfect Lamb of God who died? Well, that's half the story. The other part of the story is this. It is the perfect Lamb of God who died for the unrighteous. And I find myself in this group. He became sin so that I may become righteousness. 
So Easter is not about the innocence of Christ. Easter is about Christ who became sin. So that I, through faith in him, may have righteousness. You see, he's the innocent. But I am the guilty. And he said to me, I'll go in your place. And he did. Before we do not really believe this, Easter has no meaning at all. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ in that way that he stood in, the, in your place and that he took your sin upon him and that he's brought righteousness to you, you know what you can do? And I'm not saying you, you know, but the world can do that. Go and buy your Easter eggs. Go and buy your bunnies. Go and camp you out somewhere. And get drunk and enjoy life. It's a harsh way to put it, but that's what it means. Instead, I beg you, in the words of the Apostle Paul, as we heard last week, I beseech you then, be reconciled to God. Amen. Our Father... The human mind cannot work all of this out. It remains to us a mystery. And yet, Lord, it is reality. Why would you love us and send your son to die on a cross? We don't know. Because there's nothing good in us. Surely nothing good in me. But Father, the sinless Christ, the innocent, took my sin on himself. And he died for me. What can I do, Lord? other than give my life to him in service and in thanksgiving. Accept our praise and thanksgiving, Lord. Accept our lives. Accept our hearts and our minds. Accept, yes, Lord, accept us. Amen.